She drives me crazy like no one else. She drives me crazy and I can't help myself. Fine young cannibals. Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to my fine young friend, Mr. AJ Mass. Hello, I am here. I am fine. Uh, young, eh, depends on your point of view, but I'm ready to go. <laughs> yes, indeedy. This is a podcast, folks, about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so I'm going to be giving you that first watch perspective. And AJ has seen each and every episode many a time. He is what we call our grizzled veteran, and uh, that's the perspective he's going to be giving you. This week, folks, what an episode we have for you. It is season three, episode eight. Of, of Criminal Minds, and it's entitled Lucky. This episode was directed by Steve Boyum and written by Andrew Wilder. It originally aired on November 14th, 2007. AJ, do you have anything to add before we get into this episode? No, I got nothing to add except it's very, very lucky that you get to experience uh, this episode of Criminal Minds. I, I think definitely uh, they have figured out the proper mixture on how to get Rossi integrated and all the personalities and the character development and this. Ooh, let's go. <laughs> all right. So let's do it. We open this week. At the Hazelwood Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Florida. And this instantly made me excited because I was I was getting vibes of like, uh, I don't know, maybe like the Joker origin story or something. As soon as I see an Institute for the Criminally Insane, it excites me in a way like no other. Yeah, well, I don't know if uh, you'll get your Arkham itch scratched. But. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh didn't happen. But we do see a doctor and some doctors and I guess what appears to be like a medical board uh, and they're in a conference room and we have one doctor that is arguing against the release of a patient. He's worried that this patient's sexual fantasies are going to become realities. Basically, when he gets out, he's going to stop his medication. One of the side effects of the medication, by the way, as we see a flashback of this patient but we don't see his face, is that he's gained 160 pounds since he's been on the medication. So, you know, you're probably going to want to stop that once you get out. And when you do stop the medication, you're going to start carrying out all those sick, twisted sexual fantasies you have. And uh, so he throws down a bunch of this patient's books and papers, and we see pentagrams and and devil satanic worship types, uh, accoutrement, so we get an idea of what this guy is into. And a board member says, yeah, but he's he's 17. He's served his time. And the law says once he's 18, we got to let him go. And our hands are tied. And the first doctor says it's not their hands that he's worried about. Corny, but 
I still laughed. <laughs> yes. And like I said, this up to here, I'm still getting those Arkham vibes, and I, I did actually enjoy this part. And we do see this patient from behind. Like I said, we don't really see his face. And there's an orderly there who's who's letting him out. And he mentions that they should change his name to Lucky as he gives him back all of his Satan-worshipping accoutrement. <laughs> and he lets them know that they're going to be letting him go. Pretty, pretty, standard, pretty standard, straightforward open. Yes. I uh, I don't know if I neglected to mention that this was uh, in 1988, by the way. So we actually were, are going back some years from yeah, when the this, this rest of this episode starts. This was uh, what we say. So we're saying what 20 years ish, right? From, from when this episode aired, it's so hard with years. <laughs> I'm thinking 88. That's like 40 years. Oh no, no, one. <laughs> Maybe I might have graduated high school that year. <laughs> <laughs> mm, 88 88 88 <laughs> yes. so anyway next we see a cute little scene little meat cute uh it's garcia at a coffee shop and uh she's getting her normal order there and as she's leaving she notices what i'll say is an attractive man and he's having issues with his computer and you know it's garcia it's both an attractive guy and a computer issue. Like she can't resist. She starts to do a little talking with the guy. Maybe there's a little flirty flirty going on. She decides to help him out. And after a quick little diss of Microsoft Windows, she immediately fixes the guy's problem. He's into it and he introduces himself. He says his name is James Baylor, but his friends call him Colby. And Garcia introduces herself and say her friends call her wonderful. Or, you know, Garcia. And uh, he asks, maybe he can take her to lunch sometime. And she agrees, and they swap cards, and he says he'll call her. Now, AJ, was it wrong of me? <laughs> uh, immediately, I was suspicious of this encounter. And then I was kind of mad at myself that I would be suspicious of this encounter. Yeah, um, I, I think that's all on you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it, it probably uh, is. Because, especially because, as as we know on this show, they try and balance really horrific, horrific with lighthearted, lighthearted to then prepare you for even more horrific. And you just know we're going to hear something horrific coming up. So this is the, oh, we're going we gonna to give you something that you want, something nice. She clickety-clack. There was a me-cute. Everything's cool. Yeah, everything is a-okay. So next, we see Garcia arrive at the BAU office, and Morgan immediately notices something's up with her, and she's like, yeah, this is why I hate profilers. So she tells him about this guy she met, and and lo and behold, she herself is a little bit sus, AJ, because this is not usually how it goes with her and quote-unquote smoking hot guys, and Morgan after hearing the story, says maybe she should just trust her gut. If the guy seems a little too smooth or a little too smoking hot, maybe she should go ahead and just walk the other way. And JJ comes up to uh, interrupt this conversation to let him know that they've got a bad case. And when Morgan asks how bad, her response is Florida, as if that <laughs> says it all. <laughs> that is enough. <laughs> and Morgan winces because, yes, Florida man was a thing back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh no not florida it's uh yeah it's like so i guess you can let yourself off the hook a little bit for your feeling towards the garcia thing um 
because even she herself is like, yeah. But you know, it's a self-esteem thing. It's a yes. It's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we think Garcia is great, and I mean, how could you not be rooting for that meet cute to be perfect? Uh, yeah. you know, they were adorable together. <laughs> it was beautiful. I was I was happy for for a moment, but I have been watching too many episodes of Criminal Minds and shows like that. <laughs> that something bad's gonna happen. That's the problem. So anyway, we next cut to the conference room, and JJ is giving the case details. This is in Bridgewater, Florida. There's a local girl, 19 years old, never came home. She was found after three days. At least parts of her were found because everything below her waist was eaten, apparently, by alligators. She was found in an alligator area, so they pretty much can uh, count on that's what happened. But Hotch does point out that uh, alligators certainly didn't cut off her fingers or carve the inverted pentagram on her chest. I mean, if they did, we got a really <laughs> much more serious case than we thought. Florida. <laughs> the locals think that uh, perhaps it's a satanic cult. And Prentice says to Rossi, uh, you know, satanic occults don't exist. And Rossi's looking at her like, duh. And Reed is the one to point out to Prentice that Rossi is the one that debunked said satanic cults. And she's like, oh, thanks. And uh, Rossi just says, look, cult or not, this is going to turn serial if it hasn't already. And JJ is like, so killer satanic cults don't exist, but satanic serial killers do. And Rossi answers with an Italian phrase, which Reed is, of course, able to translate immediately. It is from Dante's Inferno, Abandon All Hope all ye who enter here. And JJ's like, so that was a yes. And Hotch is like, yeah, a big yes. Indeed. And Hotch is smiling. Uh, again, not, 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 a, not a grin, toothy smile, but he is smiling. And I think it's because he sees that Rossi is actually becoming part of the team here. He, he bantered. He was wacky. <laughs> so it was nice to see. In his own inimitable style, though, definitely. Yeah, it, 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 he's, he's much... Already learned to be much lighter than Gideon ever could possibly have been. True that. Next, we cut to a quick scene of our killer's lair. Again, we see him from behind. And I did like the detail that he's clearly lost weight from the first time we saw him. Mm-hmm. So he's probably not on his meds anymore. Ding, ding, um, ding. That's, that's one giveaway. <laughs> yes. And that is, of course, assuming that he's our same person that was sure. released. I mean, that was an assumption, but... I, I was going to go ahead and make that very assumption. valid. Very valid. He's yes. playing. He's playing the same record that he was playing in the first scene. So yes, very safe assumption. Yes, and of course because he's a criminal minds unsub, he has like red scribbling all over his walls and freaky art posters uh, of what we would think of as perhaps being satanic, and uh, and if, then we see he's holding a baggie which contains. Ew, it contains fingers in it. Pretty gross. Mm, just a little finger food. <laughs> uh, oh, no. no. And with that, we go to credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. We come back from credits, AJ, and our BAU jet is in flight. And for the first time I can remember, Derek Morgan gives us our opening quote. I, I I don't recall if he's done it before. I think this is the first it time. It may be. I mean, they've certainly uh, 
they've started passing it around a little bit. And certainly since Gideon left, because it was usually Gideon, sometimes Hatch. But yeah, now it's starting to be spread around a little bit. So he says, fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters. Francisco Goya. And so we're on the plane and Rossi is starting to say that there's only two types of violent satanic killers. And Reed interrupts him to say, type one, teen Satanists. You know, the kind that are rebelling, that commit minor crimes. But perhaps when combined with drugs and alcohol, they may turn violent. And Rossi's like, yes, an extreme case is deadly. Uh, that was right out of my book, word for word. <laughs> and uh, Morgan is like, yeah, we know. Um, no, it, 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 yes, he says that. But it was, it was actually even the way he said it. It was like, yeah. trust us, we know. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, yeah, join the club. Oh, you're in for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so Reed starts to talk again to go into type two, but Morgan shushes him because clearly this is Rossi's uh, bit of information to share. So he quiets Reed down to let Rossi take take control here. And uh, Rossi says type two is the adaptive Satanist, the one who rationalizes his killings by blaming them on outside for forces, in this case, Satan. And Hotch says, well, whether you're religious or not, the presence of satanic elements can affect even the most in- experienced investigators. So let's be sure to keep an eye on each other. And JJ's like, I know, I saw The Exorcist, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, and, I, uh, I like I like this I like this scene. Normally the the talking on the jet kind of snoozy and it's usually just reiterate something we've already heard, but I, I did like, you know, he doesn't kill because he believes in Satan. He believes in Satan because he kills. I like that little juxtaposition. <laughs> right. And uh, Morgan has to add to the conversation. He's like, my mom took me to church every Sunday till I moved out. And this devil thing doesn't spook me. Reed says he makes the whole thing awkward by saying (laughs) probably because you never believed in the God part either. And Morgan, looking very offended, says, no offense, but you don't know what I believe, kid. I like that he still was like kid, you know, to let him know, hey, I understand you're Reed. And you are blunt and awkward, so, but just, you don't get it, you yeah. know. But I'm not being mean to you, Reed. I'm just, you know, letting you know. You, know, just, you don't know what's up. Well, you're all genius. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but Reed goes on to say, well, logic dictates if you believe in one, you have to reconcile the existence of the other. And Hotch is like, you know, yeah, let's just stop this conversation. Let's just not underestimate people's uh, reactions to this whole Satan thing. Okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there was actually, I will, I will say, I, I, I also really like the fact that, you know, Reese said there's two types of, of, of activity and, and there are no killer cults and satanic cults. And one of the activities is teen groups, you know, the ones who like do minor vandalism, wear makeup, look like Aaron Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've had one of these already. So I do like the fact that of course we know that they usually end up to be teens just looking to do mischief and drink and maybe sometimes it gets out of hand because we've had it before it was nice that we're doing the other group now nice good point so we next cut to the medical examiner's office in bridgewater florida we see our local detective with prentice and this guy looks straight out of the uh uh glenn fry book of <laughs> smugglers blues 
uh, <laughs> Miami Vice, got a big cigar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I actually like that. Like, we, we, normally we get the scene where they meet this guy and he takes them to the Emmy and like we've kind of cut that scene and maybe maybe they filmed it and they realize we're running long and then so we we don't get introduced to him uh, we'll get his name about 30 minutes from now <laughs> it'll be mentioned but it's like he's just cigar cop and he plays yes. cigar cop and it's glorious <laughs> <laughs> so uh he's telling prentice and hotch that they found abby's car at a gas station there was no signs of foul play and the emmy is there to tell them that the gators got to her sometime during the night that uh, her nose was broken two days before, which indicates to them that this was a blitz attack. And the cause of death was actually that her throat was cut roughly eight hours before the discovery of the body. And because of the way the body was found, they can't determine if there was any sexual assault or not. The pentagram on her was carved post-mortem. And if you were wondering about her fingers, which had been cut off, well, guess what? Ten fingers were found in her stomach which means that they were fed to her just before her death and Reed looks suitably grossed out. And might I add, ew. <laughs> we next cut to Morgan, JJ, and Rossi, and they're approaching the girls' church to talk to the priest. But before they go in, Morgan requests that, uh, uh, to Rossi that he doesn't do the interview with the priest. And Rossi's like, you'd rather talk to the grieving parents on the worst day of their lives than the priest? And Morgan is like, yeah, if it's okay with you, that's exactly what I prefer to do. So they go into the church and introduce themselves to the priest. And immediately, Rossi tells him that Agent Morgan has some questions for him. <laughs> so basically, they're going to go talk to the parents. And I'm like, damn, Rossi. And Morgan looks at him like, damn, Rossi. <laughs> that was, that was a, and I love the fact that Rossi never says yes to him outside. He just kind of like nods like, okay, mm-hmm. Duly noted. And yeah, Morgan like, dude, what did I just ask you? So when the priest and Morgan are alone, the priest tries to get him to get some spiritual talk in because he feels like he can recognize uh, when somebody needs some uh, help of that nature. And uh, Morgan is like, I didn't come here to talk about myself. And he's very blunt with this with this priest. He just gives them some very basic questions about the church. How big is it? It's the only church in town. Are you aware of any thefts or break-ins, vandalism? Have you gotten any questions about Satan from any of your younger parishioners? No. Okay, fine. Okay, thanks. Good day, sir. Basically, yeah. it's yeah. A, uh, quick. You, you, let me get through this as quick as possible. I did like the line that the, that uh, Reverend Mark says to him when he first, when, you know, when Morgan's looking like, how do you know anything about me? He's just like, Priests and dentists can spot an overdue customer a mile away. I thought that was a very clever line. It was delivered very nicely, too. Yes. Shout out to, uh, I would say, somewhat well-known actor Michael Beach, who was playing Father Marks here. Indeed. So uh, we next have our standard scene with the grieving parents. They have to pick out a picture because uh, the girl can't have an open casket Abby was popular, generous, etc. You know, there's some back and forth about that. And the mom says she's studying to be a nurse. And the dad corrects her to say, no, she was studying to be a nurse. And uh, that causes the mom to freak out a bit. She leaves the room and JJ follows after her. And the dad tells Rossi that uh, he made the identification 
and they had a sheet over her. They were just showing her face and they told him that he didn't need the details. Uh, the doctor said he didn't need to see it. The detective says he doesn't need to know, you know, what happened. Um, and he trusts the detective and the doctor, but he wants to know what Rossi thinks as FBI, basically a non-local, someone, you know, outside uh, of this of the situation. Uh, what does he think? And Rossi looks at the pictures and says, you know what? Those are the memories that you need to keep and trust him. And his he starts crying, but also kind of seems a little bit relieved that at that answer, like he doesn't really want to know the details of what Dude, happened. This guy knocks it out of the park. Like, what what a great scene. Like, I love when Criminal Minds, this is when it works, when they cast these nothing characters. And they just, they make you feel some emotion and this, it's, oh, just kudos. And I looked this guy up. He's like done nothing since. Like, you know, a bit roll here, a bit roll there. Uh, but kudos. What a great scene. I, I love when they do this. So next we uh, cut to outside the church and Morgan is waiting there at the car looking kind of pissed off. While uh, JJ and Rossi come out with the priest, uh, Father Marks, and they, they are thanking him. And uh, Morgan and Rossi each give each other a little stare down. And like I said, you can tell Morgan is not too happy about yeah, what's and, transpired. And, and Rossi just smirks at him. It's like so cold. <laughs> Next, we cut back to the police station. And uh, they've decided that the evidence doesn't really point to any group of the of teenagers. This really appears to be a serial killer. And uh, Prentice says, judging by what he did to the fingers, it's a sadistic one. So we go back to the police station, AJ, and they've decided that the evidence doesn't point to any group of teenagers, that this is definitely the work of a serial killer. And Prentice is saying, well, judging by what he did to the fingers, it's a sadistic one. And Rossi says, well, not necessarily. And Prentice is like, well, uh, he cut off her fingers and made her eat them. And if that's not sadistic, (laughs) and Rossi says, well, if it was sadistic, it was the only sign of sadism present. And Prentice realizes, yes, if he were purely a sadist, there would be more signs of torture, more evidence of that. This is when Hotch comes in and basically he says, the fingers are, are a message. She's not my first. And the reason he knows this is because apparently none of the fingers that were found in Abby's stomach were hers. And six of them happened to be index fingers. Yeah, which which I guess means there's at least three more victims. I would have said six, but, you know, it could have been a left and a right from the same victim at that point. So, but we're looking at multiple victims beyond who we already found, and that's just, oof. <laughs> yeah, disgustipating. So next we cut to Bridgewater Inlet State Park, and we see a woman parking a Jeep Uh, She has a bird-watching book. She grabs it and puts it in her backpack. And then she walks over to a restroom, and she goes in, and then she goes into a stall. And that's when she notices a red inverted pentagram painted on the door of the stall. And the camera does a very nice bit of camera work here as it swings over to the stall next to hers. And then you see feet coming down like somebody was standing on the toilet, booted feet of a man, clearly men's feet. And they open the door and then walk towards her stall. And you see 
the woman start to freak out a little bit as she sees the obviously male shoes. And then she backs up further into the stall, but you know, there's nowhere to go. And the camera cuts away and we hear her starting to scream. And I just happen to love this because as we will find out, and it's no big surprise, his name's in the credits beforehand. We will find out that the unsub is Jamie Kennedy. And this is almost a shot for shot from scream. So with the feet in the stall and the dropping down. So I, I thought that was just delightful because we don't know at this point it's Jamie Kennedy, but once once we will find out in a few scenes that it is Jamie Kennedy, I just like the Scream reference. is is pretty cool. Next, we cut to Garcia in our office, and she gets a call, and it's the dude Colby from that morning, and he's asking her out to dinner, and she starts thinking about it, and then she starts coughing. She does the, oh, I'm sick thing. And uh, she's not going to accept the date. She's coming down with something. And he's like, well, maybe some other time and and tells her to feel better. Then uh, Garcia calls Morgan. She lets him know she's got 10 separate IDs for the fingers. So none of the fingers were of the same woman. Uh, She's ID'd them all. She was able to do so so quickly because they had, uh, had 40 prostitution arrests on record. Uh, So these women all worked truck stops and rest areas in the counties around Bridgewater. She rushes to get off the phone with him and he's like, hey, hey, hold on. No, no snappy rhetoric. Uh, He he didn't say rhetoric. He didn't say rhetoric. He said said rhetoric. Yeah. Rhetoric. Rhetoric. Which Uh, I noted too and was like, come on, you couldn't have given Shamar another line read? Exactly what I was about to say. Let him read that over, director, please. But uh, anyway, she lets him know that she uh, blew off the coffee shop guy. But Morgan agrees too quickly without reading the room <laughs> that that she was smart doing that, that there was something definitely wrong with this guy. And Garcia's like, oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get it. Was it? Yeah, because no one could possibly like me. Is that yes. what it is, Mr. Derek Morgan? <laughs> well, what tipped you off that is that? that he must be wrong. Was he too handsome or was the fact that he was interested in me? And Morgan has got his foot in his mouth. He can't really get out of it. There's nothing he can do. And before, and, and Garcia just says, uh, you want snappy, you suck. And she hangs up on him. Emily comes in at that moment and Morgan composes himself saying that Garcia has ID the 10 victims. And Emily says, yep. And she already sent the files through and let's look at the last known locations of the 10 victims, uh, she tells Derek that Hotch has set up the profile briefing. We cut to our profile scene. Hotch is telling the cops about Abby Kelton and the 10 others that were murdered by a serial killer. And he's able to say here in Bridgewater and our detective who I mentioned before, looks like an extra from Miami Vice. He's like, how can you be sure? And they show the map of where the first 10 people disappeared And in the center was the safety zone, which is the town of Bridgewater. And previously, he'd avoid killing near there to escape detection. And so the detective asks, well, why would he kill this time in his safety zone? And they say, basically, he wants us to know. He he wants attention now. Yeah, it was was nice. It was actually written very nicely there. The cigar cop is like, why would he do this now? Nobody knew he existed. And Rossi's like, because nobody knew he existed. (laughs) Right. Rossi's like snappy. Like, oh, I like this Rossi. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, killing this killing gives this guy power and them knowing about it gives him even more power. 
and he's not going to be stopping anytime soon. And just then, Detective Jordan, and they must somebody must have said his name because now I'm writing Detective well, Jordan. Well, he answers the phone. He says, Detective Jordan here. Okay. And that's, that's what a, did yeah, it for because me. Because <laughs> I actually wrote it down here because up until this point, he's just Cigar Cop. And after this point, I still call him Cigar Cop. So. <laughs> yes. So uh, Detective Jordan gets a call. He say, hangs up and says, they were right. This guy is just getting started. So we cut to the bathroom at the park, and Prentice and Rossi are looking through the scene. Uh, Emily is saying that yesterday, Tracy Lambert told her roommate that she was going for a hike. And uh, they're looking through the bathroom, and they figure out that he must have been in there waiting for her. It was a blitz attack, just like with Abby. And Rossi looks in the stall, which now has some of the unsubs books neatly lined up on top of the toilet. (laughs) And uh, from this, he's able to do, deduce that the unsub was likely in a mental institution. And he explains to Emily that when severely mentally ill people are discharged from an institution, they stop taking their meds and their minds fall back into chaos. But often they have to do one thing to keep some sort of order. So that's what gives him the idea that this guy is from a, a mental institution. So Prentice says she'll have Garcia check the state mental records. We cut back to outside the park, and uh, and Morgan is not happy to see the priest pull up. They're getting ready to do a search. He asks Detective uh, Cigar Cop, he asks him what he's doing there. And uh, the detective says, look, the state search and rescue is going to take four to five hours to set up because it comes from Tallahassee, just several hours away, et cetera, et cetera. And the priest says, you know what, Tracy is a member of our choir, and our congregation feels helpless. And if they do the search, they feel like they're doing something positive to help out. Morgan says, hey, it's a bad idea. Uh, when they ask him why, he says, because the unsub could be a church member. And that's when Hutch adds in, yeah, serial killers like to insert themselves into the investigation. And the detective, cigar detective, starts to get mad. He's saying, you know, I can run the search I'm going to run the search the way I want. I'm going to do it my way, et cetera, et cetera, and leave it to who to smooth things over, AJ. Oh, you know who it's going to be. Of course, JJ smooths things over. She says, look, why don't you let us set it up and we can try to draw this guy out. We can get a volunteer sign-in sheet going and that'll give us a good suspect list. And the detective thinks about it and he agrees to it. And so next we cut to see a bunch of folks signing up and getting instructions, and they go out to search. We see a couple of people together, and they're all going through the the wooded areas, singing, singing, (laughs) shouting out, Tracy, Tracy, Tracy Lambert. And soon you see them splitting up. And as soon as you see the woman sort of splitting off from the husband, you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't a good idea. Well, it's one of two things. Either she's going to trip and fall and stumble on the body immediately, or... <laughs> or option two, she as soon as she's out of sight of the husband, basically you hear her being attacked and uh, dragged away, basically. And then we see her husband looking around like, Cheryl? <laughs> like... And it was very daring of our unsub here because it was she was like right there. She, she was right there, but I, I think uh, this search party was not the greatest search party. I mean, 
you know, this guy yeah. lost his own wife during the search. Uh, I did like I did like the closed captioning on this because she gets hit and it just says thunk. Yes. <laughs> she got thunked. She got thunked. So we next cut to a car that has been pulled over. And speaking of thunking, you can hear thunking from the trunk of the car. But our driver turns up uh, music on the radio. Whoa, 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 on the radio. Whoa, 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 on the radio. (laughs) Oh, it would have been great if that was the song. (laughs) But uh, uh, the cop is starting to walk toward the car. But just then he gets a message over the radio, over the radio, about Cheryl Timmons going missing. And all units need to respond immediately. So the cop just yells over to the driver without coming up to the window. Hey, slow it down, buddy. And then he goes back to his car and leaves. And meanwhile, as he turns down the radio, we do hear Cheryl from the trunk yelling for help. That's not coming. I was I was a little disappointed. I mean, first of all, I, I did like the fact that this is basically this happens in real life where serial killers could have been caught and they just get let off with a warning, even though they had a dead body in the trunk or, you know, something like that. Uh, certainly it's, it's, it's common uh, in what has happened with a lot of these serial killers in real life. I was just upset because this name of this episode is lucky. And we saw it in the first scene where, you know, he called him lucky. Why didn't this, they make this cop just say, it's your lucky day, pal, slow down. That would have made that would have been good. It's a little line, different line read, but it reinforces that this is indeed our unsub. And it's the same guy, you know. Just he's lucky. He's lucky. He's lucky. He's a star, but he cry, cry, cry in his broken heart. <laughs> he's up all night to get lucky. Uh, <laughs> yes, we come back to the police station now. Mister Timmons is feeling awfully guilty because perhaps he shouldn't have split up with his wife. And uh, Prentice does ask Morgan if Father Marks has anything yet because Morgan was talking to him and Morgan says no. And at this moment, Garcia calls Prentice and in a very professional manner lets her know that she's run the killings through Vicap. She hasn't found anything yet. And Prentice tells her to cross check the names from the volunteer search list against the mental institution records, especially anyone who was involuntarily committed in Florida because Rossi happens to be convinced that this unsub is the type that likes to stick close to home. She also says uh, to Garcia, hey, normally you call Morgan with this type of stuff. What's up? And then she talks to her a little bit. And immediately after she hangs up with Garcia, she goes over to Morgan to let him know that when a woman tells a man her feelings, she doesn't want him to fix her. She just wants him to shut up and listen. And Morgan looks like he just can't catch a break. Yeah, it was pretty funny because Garcia didn't really even have to tell the story to her. First, she's just like, I hate profilers. <laughs> Second time she said that this episode. And she goes, look, I met this guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you met. The, uh, OK. Yep. I'm Team Garcia. That's, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough info, info. And of course, Morgan looks clueless. So then uh, Morgan goes in to talk to Marks, Father Marks, and he really can't think of anybody in his congregation that fits the profile. And Morgan is overtly hostile as he's telling him that one of his congregation is definitely the killer. And the priest is like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And Morgan actually shoves crime scene photos all up in his face 
and says, yeah, tell that to Cheryl Timmons' husband and children when they ask you to pray over what's left of her. And I was like, damn, Derek. Father Marks asks Morgan what happened to him that makes him have such contempt for a priest that he hardly knows. And Morgan does go into something happening to him when he was a kid and that he prayed every day. And we diligent viewers know what happened when Morgan was a kid. So this is a callback to that. And he prayed every day and God did nothing. And Father Marks says that thing that they say that would annoy me to hear also where he says, well, God never gives us more anything more than we can handle. And Morgan is like, yeah, well, your God expects too much out of a 13-year-old boy. What a good line. <laughs> yeah. So next we cut to outside of the church and Rossi is there and he tells he tells Morgan that Father Mark seems shaken up when he left. And by the way, I know you're still pissed. I threw you under the bus with him yesterday. And Morgan is like, am I? And Rossi says, you know, basically I was just giving you a chance for personal growth. That's why he did that. And Morgan is like, I get you, Dave. You're no mystery to me. They said you couldn't interview serial killers and you did. They said you couldn't put together a profiling team and you did. And they said there was no way in hell you would ever come back here. And you did. It's in your nature, Rossi. It's who you are. And Rossi's like, well, if you knew all that about me, uh, why did you tell me that you didn't want to talk to a priest? And Morgan says, I was giving you an opportunity for personal growth. So touche. And uh, he starts to head off. And Rossi is like, where are you going? Morgan says, to apologize. So good for Morgan. He's got a, he actually did have a little personal growth here. And I think Rossi <laughs> thinks that as well. <laughs> like, exactly. his job well, well it, done. <laughs> it, it, it's almost as if Morgan uh, was angry at Rossi for succeeding. <laughs> yes. Damn uh, it, you got me. <laughs> So then uh, Morgan walks into the church and we do see that there's a woman's figure sitting in one of the pews and Morgan is looking for Father uh, Marks and he freaks out a little bit because some wind blows some candles out. I, I didn't get, I guess it was a yeah, the candles kind of all spooky. Blew out all at once. Yeah, kind of a little spooky thing that happened and uh, he asks the woman if she saw that and no she didn't AJ because... She's uh, super dead. <laughs> She's got an inverted pentagram on her chest. Uh, and Morgan draws his gun and, of course, looks around, freaked out. Rightfully so, I would say. I mean, you go into a church, all the, all the candles blow out, and then a dead body kind of falls in front of you. You have every right to be freaked out, let alone when you've already got this Satan God thing on your mind <laughs> like he does. Uh, we next cut to our unsub who has unlocked a cage where he has uh, Cheryl Timmons. He comes in and starts sharpening a knife. And she's like, please don't hurt me. I got kids. He uses the knife to cut her pants leg open. And it is all very creepy. And then he tells her to relax. This is going to feel real nice. And as he's pouring oil on his hands, and then he starts massaging it over her legs. Just ew. Just, you know, to totally creepy. And, and, uh, Another episode where the victim, though, knows to try and personalize it. So these victims are not like complete you know, noobs. <laughs> they're living in a world where, where they're aware. I like it. 
And that's because they probably have shows similar to Criminal Minds that they've watched. <laughs> yes. Oh, we have, I have to get home. I'm recording minimal crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Hotch and Prentice are with the medical examiner. The victim that Morgan found in the church was Hispanic and clearly not one of the two missing women that they're currently looking for. And Prentice actually just got her name. It's Maria Lopez. She's 34. She had several arrests for solicitation and prostitution, just like all the others. But the kicker is that she was reported missing nine months ago. And the ME says, well, she's been dead for 72 hours, and he can confirm that there was no sexual assault. Hotch thinks about it for a second and then asks the examiner to check the tissue to see if the cells were burst. And the ME says, oh, you think she was frozen? And Hotch does think she was frozen. And his reason, he thinks that he's been eating them. And we cut to a break. And, and yes, of course, you and I both are going at this point, I'm sure. Now, uh, say what now? <laughs> that is quite the bit of a leap, Mr. Hotchner. And I am delighted beyond end when they come back from break. And basically, JJ is like, so, Hotch. Yes. (laughs) Yes. How'd you make that jump? (laughs) And Hotch says, well, he didn't take them for sex. And he took their legs. I I don't remember hearing that he took their legs. I kind of didn't get that. Well, yeah, because they, uh, they didn't find the legs on our first victim. They just assumed it was because the alligators were the ones who ate the legs, but that doesn't mean that the alligators ate the legs. Like he's like, wait a second, we just found her without legs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he thinks that the fingers were not just a message saying he's killed before. He thinks the fingers were also a message that he was eating the victims. Um, at that moment, Garcia calls in to let them know that she has, hasn't found anyone that was both a Satanist and a cannibal, but she does mention that they should that they should check Hazelwood Mental Institution because that's a likely place for those type of people. Um, they did have a fire in 1998 that destroyed all their records. It's about 70 miles away, which of course Reed knows and gives them instantly when they ask, "Oh, where is that?" Oh, 70 miles away. Um, Hotch and Reed decide to go to check out Hazelwood. Indeed. And, you know, it's uh, it's close enough where I could buy that they would do that. And, if, you know, they said, well, they don't have records <laughs> on the computer because otherwise Garcia would have clickety clack. So it does make sense that they have to make a personal tri- trip there. We cut to Reed and Hotch talking to an old doctor. And I believe he is the very same administrator that was in the opening scene. Probably. Yeah. I mean, much, much more old, old makeup up. But yes. Yes. And uh, he's saying that they have no record of the patient that that they've described. He doesn't remember any patient like that. Besides, Dr. Lawrence was uh, in charge of the adolescents, and they perk up at the mention of adolescents. And so the doctor says the his name is Dr. Nash. He says the only way they'd release a patient like the one they described is if they were admitted as a minor and then released when they turned eighteen. And uh, no, they can't speak to Dr. Lawrence because he actually died in the fire. So they ask about that. And they and he says, well, he was leaving when he heard the alarm. And then he came back inside and became trapped. 
And uh, that's when he died in the fire. So they asked him if there was something in his office that he felt was worth risking his life for. And the doctor does actually have something that the groundskeepers found in a tree just below his office. He must have threw it out his window that night just before he died. And uh, he goes to his drawer, which 20 years later, he's kept this notebook in the bottom of his drawer for 20 years. <laughs> and it's a, it's a notebook uh, that apparently was uh, describing just this boy that was that they've been describing. Yeah. It's just a poor it's such a poorly written scene because because all of again, all of the elements are clearly there. All I have, it's the only scene I don't like in this entire episode. Like, all I have to do is go in, yeah, well, we're here because I know why you're here. I knew this day would come. They warned us. You know, Dr. Lorenz always warned us, and I have the journal right here. I know exactly. That that would have just made much more sense, why he would have it, that he knew the day would come. And no, I actually haven't read it all the way through because it was just too horrible. Like, all that is there, as opposed to this teeth pulling. Yeah. And he knows the whole time, AJ. He knows the whole time. He's got the little book sitting in his drawer. You're looking for someone. I I don't know. There's a, who could you possibly be looking for? Well, he's like this. No, I don't know who you could possibly be looking for. And he's like this. No, no. Oh, you know what? There was this book found in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, you knew damn well, and you kept it all these years because you knew damn well. So uh, anyway, yeah. Reed starts reading it, and it's a journal describing this boy that was discharged. He was admitted after biting a large piece of flesh out of his nine-month-old sister. And Hotch is like, yeah, yeah, what's the name? And Reed is like, uh, he believes he was possessed by a flesh-eating demon. And Hotch is like, yeah, 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 we need a name. (laughs) And finally, Reed says, oh, okay, Floyd Fulane Farrell. Ford Fairlane? (laughs) Ford Fairlane, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, He's a feral feline. (laughs) (laughs) Floyd <laughs> Get happy. Uh, so we cut to the police station and the, t- the t- detective is there and he said he knows Floyd. Guy is not that bright. Uh, so then we cut to them bursting into Floyd's place. Morgan gets to kick in the door, yo, yo. <laughs> Morgan gets to kick in the door. They go down and it's a freezer area. I will say, even before they go down, they clear the top level and they take a look around the kitchen and you can see the meat grinder is yeah. sitting there and hasn't been cleaned off. And you're just like, ew. Yeah, it's a big freezer and there's bodies of women on the shelves. Uh, so I would say they found their guy. <laughs> um, cigar detective, he can barely keep it together. And meanwhile, Prentice does find a room and she finds Cheryl Timmons and they're still alive. She asks her if Tracy Lambert is there, but Tracy Lambert is not there. So JJ has the detective looking at the bodies on the shelves to see if any of them are Tracy, and none of them are Tracy. Uh, Then we see Hotch and Morgan looking for Floyd, and they actually find him in his little lair area, quick and easy. I mean, he was just sitting there waiting for him to come. Sitting in his tidy whities Sitting there in his tidy whities they ask him where Tracy Lambert is. He doesn't answer. And they look at his creepy lair and 
take his posters, uh, which turn out to be artwork from Goya. As Reed tells us in a minute, they are known as the black paintings. Yeah, I, I do. I do like my notes here. I, I actually wrote that cigar cigar cop doesn't see Tracy, and the next word is Morgan busts open the door. So cigar <laughs> cop doesn't see Tracy Morgan. <laughs> nah, I tell you, Bau. Nah, you ain't gonna find no girl here. Hey, Tracy Morgan. All right, pretty good, AJ. Pretty good. <laughs> Uh, so we go back to the police station and they're going to have Morgan interview Fylin because they need to find Tracy. Lucky. You can call him lucky. <laughs> That's better. Yeah. And Morgan goes through the, this book that he had and it's his recipe book, AJ, and it's pretty disgusting. The first page has the recipe for Kobe girl steak on it. And I'm just like, oh, really? Really? Oh, yes. And I know it's Kobe beef, but oh, it just makes me sad whenever I hear Kobe. <laughs> uh, yes. Lucky basically says that the pages with the smiley faces turned out to be the recipes that he liked. And the ones with the frowny faces, well, he didn't like too much. Uh, Morgan asks him if he hears voices. And he says, well, he's not smart, but he has a friend who's smart and who tells him things. And he wants me to tell you something. And Morgan's like, what is that? He's like, your watch has stopped. They make a big deal out of this. Like, ooh, scary. <laughs> you know, Morgan looks down at his watch, you know, like, oh. And uh, we cut to Hotch and then Rossi. And they're like, oh, he's trying to scare him. But Hotch is like, oh, he's not, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, they're really making a big deal out of that particular point. Well, I, I think it's more that the... the... <laughs> They're trying to explain the behavior. <laughs> I mean, they've established he's not smart. And the best he could do is notice that Morgan's watch is stopped. and goes, oh, I stopped your watch. <laughs> Thinking that Morgan might not know. And like, well, yeah, the battery ran out about a month ago. So yeah, <laughs> it ain't, ain't working, dude. So Morgan continues with his, uh, with his interrogation. He says, starts saying, you know, we thought you chose athletically built women because you were attracted to them. But that's not really what it is. You really like some meat on them bones, right? That's what it's all about. Makes for a better recipe. And uh, is there something I'm missing? Lucky says, well, the skinny ones, they take drugs. And he's like, so you don't like drug users? And he says, no, they taste funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. This conversation is just not going anywhere. Yeah. He's, He's like, where's Tracy Lambert, Floyd? Where's Tracy Lambert? And he says, I'm not supposed to tell you. I'm only supposed to tell Father Marks. I'm going to stop talking right now. And so they break for a minute so that they can gather Father Marks and bring him in there. Before they let him in, Morgan has a little moment where he shakes Father Marks' hand. So they know, I guess, everything is cool between them. Yeah, I like the fact that it was also done completely silently. It's just he held up the hand, he shook the hand. They kind of like looked at each other like, okay, cool. And then Morgan has to say, now listen, Yes. <laughs> now that we got that behind us that we're not talking about, you are to continue to not talk, or I want to do all the talking. Clear? Yeah. He lets him know he's got to do all the talking, and, and Father Marks agrees. They go in, and he tells Floyd, uh, his bosses don't didn't like the idea of sending in Father Marks, and all they're going to let him do is sit there and listen, but you're going to talk to me, all right? And he's like, Okay. I've done some really bad things. And 
He says, Morgan says, uh, everybody's done things that they're not proud of. Floyd. And uh, the only thing that helps to talk about him, tell other people things are always better after you talk about them. Meanwhile, Rossi is looking at, I'm not quite sure what Rossi's figuring out here, but he's, he's figuring something is amiss with the, the conversation. Well, he's, he's basically, they, they knew that, and you know, what they, the plan was that they, the unsub would insinuate himself into the search and everything. And he's looking at the list and he sees that indeed, uh, Lucky had signed the volunteer list, but he hadn't then proceeded to sign the search list. So he's like, he was there, but he didn't search. That's what he's figuring out here. He's tried something, something's weird about that. Cause he, he wasn't on the search, but he was there. Yeah. And Where did he uh, go? what was he doing? What was he up to? Meanwhile, Morgan is like, come on, Floyd. I got him here. Like you asked. Now it's your turn. Tell us where's Tracy Lambert. So he says, Directly to Father Marks, I feel so alone. I feel like God has abandoned me. Father Marks starts to talk, even though he's instructed not to. He's like, you're not alone, my son. God is in all of us. And meanwhile, Rossi's screaming, we need to try. We need to stop the interview. Then he says the line, after God is in all of us, our boy Lucky says, yeah, so is Tracy Lambert. <laughs> this is when Father Marks realizes where uh, Floyd was stationed. He was serving the food to the search party, to the group. Yeah, we have a little flashback to him at the, at the food line and everybody eating the food. Uh, it, it's weird because this was not – usually when they do this, it's footage of, of scenes we've seen before, but we're just seeing it from a different angle. Like they never showed this stuff before. I'm sure they filmed it at the time, but they never they never showed it. And the worst part about it, the worst part about it – is that you see them putting police tape up in front of Floyd Penland-Finnell's barbecue joint. Yes. He runs the barbecue joint. Ooh, Yes. <laughs> it's just disgusting because, you know, I, I love barbecue, AJ. <laughs> and now, because of Criminal Minds, I have to second guess myself when I have a rib platter. Soiling green is made of people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Father Marks sort of is like, no, and going after uh, Floyd, and they break that up. But that was the that was the whole good thing about Floyd. Then we cut to another ending quote. Again, we hear Morgan, and he's saying 16th century English novelist Thomas Deloney wrote, God sends meat and the devil sends cooks. <laughs> wow. Uh, on the nose. Uh, appropriate (laughs) and so what they're saying is that blaming the devil for his cannibalism wasn't enough to lessen the guilt so he tricked others into participating so that would make them all as guilty as he was and uh yeah he was lucky he caught every break possible he got released from the hospital the records got destroyed he got pulled over had the victim in the trunk of his car and they let him they let him go Never seen anybody that lucky. And uh, Rossi is like, well, what's your point? Morgan is talking to him, by the way. Sorry. And uh, he says, uh, you've been doing this a long time. You've seen a long, lot of things. You think it's possible that Phelan would, I don't know, that he was getting some kind of help from something else. Basically, Morgan is saying like some supernatural 
some yeah, kind of something. Satan was really on his side here. And Rossi says, uh, it's irrelevant. Our job is to find evil, to stop it, not to know where it came from. Let somebody else worry about that job. This job's tough enough. And he says, you know what? Reed was right. And Morgan's like, about? And he says, uh, if you believe in one, you have to believe in the other. And normally this is where we would fade out, quite frankly. <laughs> yes. That's our ending line in the episode ends, AJ. Oh, except for one more little part here. Well, two more little parts. The first part is, of course, Morgan ends up going to a church. So yes. we see that he has taken those words to heart. And yes, he kind of thinks he believes in Satan a little bit now. So maybe it's time to give God a second try as well. Yes. And he sits in a pew and starts to silently pray. And again, another fine opportunity to fade out. Episode over. Episode no, AJ, one final, final scene. It's Garcia, and she's arriving home, escorted by her date, Colby. And uh, she's saying that she really enjoyed him, herself, and uh, he says he did too. And he's, he says, I guess it's lucky my laptop froze. <laughs> and she says, I don't know about luck, but it's awful good uh, that I was there to fix it. And he says, well, you don't believe in luck? She says, no, not really, huh? And he says, well, do you believe in coincidences? And Garcia says, well, I believe that everything happens for a really good reason. And uh, he thinks she's right about that. And so they go in for a little bit of a goodnight kiss. But all of a sudden, he doesn't kiss her. And all of a sudden, something seems off with the chemistry there. Because I was like, seemed like... We were going to have a really happy, cool little ending here, and, and yeah. Garcia was going to be right, Morgan was going to be wrong, and ha ha ha, and he, he doesn't go in for the kiss, he kind of pulls into a, pulls it into a hug? Yeah, it was, like, it was like his aunt or something, instead of like somebody he was just out on a date with. <laughs> yeah, suddenly he's shaped from Love is Blind too. No, uh, but <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think, you know, you could have read it like he just, maybe he got nervous, you know, wasn't entirely sure, so... So, not the war, not the worst ending to a date that could have happened. So she starts to go into her uh, place, and uh, he calls after her and says, "Hey, uh, Garcia." She turns around, yeah, and he says, "You know, I've been thinking about doing this all night." And all of a sudden, AJ he has a gun, and we see a shot, and Garcia looking shocked. We hear a shot. I mean. And Garcia is looking shocked, and the episode ends there. Yeah, and you notice that. Not only that, you see the you see the bullet hit her right flush in the heart. Like no mistake about it, he shot her in the heart, uh, literally, uh, figuratively, and any way you you put it. Uh, there was like a split second there where he's like, you know, I've been thinking about doing this all night. You think maybe he's going to turn back and run, rush in for the, for the passionate kiss? She wasn't that lucky. <sighs> End of episode. That's the end of the episode. Really great cliffhanger. I thought I was. I enjoyed. Yeah. That. How you feeling? How you feeling about all this? Uh, <laughs> I want to know. I want to watch the next episode. Is how I'm feeling. <laughs> and uh, I knew I didn't trust that bum. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, this I, better I not be a dream. Good. Sorry. <laughs> I, I thought this was a really good episode. Like I, I, I don't usually watch it because um, I don't. I, uh, you know, not one of my favorites, but watching it now because I'm forced to watch it, I actually realized this is actually a pretty good episode. A lot of the character work is really good. I think a lot of the dialogue was really good. There's only one scene that I found a little clunky. And I think part of part of the clunkiness is they probably, you know, just 
making sure to be able to have enough room to fit in the Garcia stuff, which you kind of needed to have for this, for these beats to get a trim elsewhere. So, but I, all in all, I, I, I thought it was a pretty good episode. And like I said, you're, you're tuning back in next week. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. And excellent use of the, the episode title in several spots, even though you pointed out a, another spot, they could have uh, used mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. but uh, good for them. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed the episode. Yeah. I think the only thing I really was like, kind of concerned about was the fact that this guy had this this notebook in his desk for <laughs> for 20 years yeah uh, other than that a good episode that, indeed but let's bring out our bow rometer aj and uh let me know if you think the team won this episode this week yeah now it, it's hard for me to uh take the ending out of it because, you know, let's face it, Garcia got shot. So that, that could be a slam dunk no-brainer loss. I'm going to try and leave that out of the equation. Uh, however, even beyond that, I kind of think we got to call this one a loss. <laughs> even though they caught the unsub, uh, they didn't catch the missing girl. They only caught the second missing person. And I mean, the answer really has wins <laughs> at the end with the with the whole getting everybody to eat the victim. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I have to think. Yeah, I, I got to give him a loss on this one, even though the answer was caught. It was, it was almost as if it's like he wanted to get caught. Almost, mm-hmm. he was sitting right there, you know. Yeah. By the way, guess what? You guys have been eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. Oh, it's like, oh, I, uh, you won, I lost? <laughs> I think you, should, you know, that's not corn in your stool. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. This was a loss. Good job. So the other thing we like to do, AJ, at the end of our uh, episode is we like to have a little thing I call three questions, a quiz, if you will, based on the or should I say inspired by the episode we just watched. What do you got this week? All right. Yes, indeed. Question number one. Uh, You mentioned that uh, Mike Beach played Reverend Marks is somebody you recognize. Let's put that to the test on what CW show did Mike Beach play Charles Pike, a former teacher who ends up being elected as chancellor of Arcadia. Hmm. Chancellor of Arcadia. That makes me want to say a show, but I don't think it was a CW show. There was a show called Joan of Arcadia, but I don't think that that was the show that we are talking about because I really don't I feel like that was a CBS show, not a CW show. So I think that perhaps that was meant to trick me, AJ. I think trying to fool me and so if i have to say another show <laughs> that had arcadia in it oh gosh i'm gonna go with a cw show i'm gonna pick a show that i never watched because i don't remember the name arcadia in any of the cw shows i'm going to say this was the show oh what was the name of that show crap <laughs> I have a show in mind. Could you describe the show, sir? <laughs> it's one of those girls, the, one of those brunette girls. <laughs> that's that 
has been in other things. She's like a little small town doctor. Small town doctor on the CW. It's she goes there and she maybe she was a big city girl, but she left. Uh, I only know this show through commercials. I don't think it's that though, <laughs> because if you're gonna look it up to find out to tell me, then you know and you know the name of the show. Oh, I know exactly what show you're talking about. I just need to look up the name. I knew. I, know, you're, you're, I believe you're you're thinking Rachel Bilson in Heart of Dixie. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Yes, Heart of Dixie. But I knew it was Rachel Bilson. I just couldn't remember the name of the show. Brunette Doctor, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to press you for an immediate answer, or this is gonna be an X right here. Okay, so my immediate get a freebie. <laughs> yes, my immediate answer is uh, Everwood. Everwood, yes, indeed. So much for the afterglow. Oh wait, that's Everclear. Uh, no, no. Uh, the reason that I asked this question is because uh, myself and my good friend Joe Garfine used to be the official podcast for this television show, and we got mm. to interview Mike Beach, and he was a lovely man. We we enjoyed the interview immensely. Uh, this was the hundred, the hundred, the hundred. It's not the one hundred. It's the hundred. It was wow. a dumb name for a show. <laughs> I've always said the one hundred every time I saw it written. I never watched an episode. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it, we 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 covered it. We covered it season three. We were the the official uh, podcast, and we got we got to interview the entire cast and, and the writers, and it was it was a fantastic experience. Uh, you know, uh, the show kind of went off the rails after that, but uh, we enjoyed that year immensely. Uh, but yes, a hundred. Should have uh, so got that, it. Yes. Well, that's all right. I mean, I only remember just, 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 just having him, you know, having, having, you know, the, the call and like the talk of the mic and, you know, how he's nothing like his character. He's just, he's just a wacky guy. It was kind of fun. Cool. Uh, but moving on. Speaking of wacky guys, question two, Jamie Kennedy. Uh, you know, when this episode aired, he was probably best known for his role in Scream. Uh, to this day, he probably <laughs> is best known. I mean, I, I, does anyone remember the Jamie Kennedy experience? JKX? Well, you do, but you know, that's not <laughs> what the question's about. Uh, but in large part, due to his performance on this show, he would soon be cast as a regular on what CBS show as Professor Eli James? Uh, I have no idea, so I'm going to throw a random show out there, and I'm going to say... Numbers. Numbers or numbers. <laughs> yeah. Was that a CBS show? I don't numbers even know if I got the right CBS network. Show, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> no. Absolutely correct. The great Judd Hirsch. Uh, <laughs> and Fleischman from Northern Exposure. Uh, no, no. Uh, I, I will leave this part hanging here, but uh, he was on this show with two future members of the BAO team. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, this was Ghost Whisperer. Ghost Whisperer. What he tried to do in this episode was whisper to the ghosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say, that's another show I just never got around to watching. Yeah, and apparently I missed out on a lot. Uh, there, There is a lot of Ghost Whisperer, Grimmel Wise crossover. <laughs> all right. Uh, and finally, normally this is my favorite question. Of the episode where I 
ask you what the plot will be of our next episode. However, given the cliffhanger nature, I think you probably have a very good idea about what the plot of our next episode is going to be. So rather than insult you by coming up with three phony things and we find out what happened to Penelope, <laughs> you know, uh, I will ask you a question about Criminal Minds, Season 3, Episode 9, entitled Penelope. <laughs> okay. I think you, you know where we're going with this. Uh, you know, uh, We're going to pick up this cl- cliffhanger where it left off. However, at some point during this episode, uh, we're going to be introduced to a new recurring character. So I would like to ask you, from what television show will you recognize the actor who will be playing Kevin from? Is it A, Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Is it B, Charmed? Is it C, Dawson's Crick? Or is it D, Felicity? Hmm. So Kevin is the new... Recurring character. Recurring character. And one of the shows that you have just kindly given me a multiple choice on. Oh, heck yeah, for this. (laughs) And that's all I have to go on. So, pretty much. I don't know what kind of an educated guess I can make. So, I am not going to make an educated guess. <laughs> I'm just going to pick one of said shows. And can you repeat my choices? I'm sorry. Yes. In alphabetical order, as usual uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, A Charmed, A Dawson's Creek, Felicity. I am going to say, uh, that our actor that plays Kevin, we might recognize from the show, A Charmed. A Charmed is your answer. No, no, it was not a Charmed answer. No, 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 no. Well, we will be, we will be uh, bringing along, uh, I believe, the first of several. Uh, people who will join our Criminal Minds crew from the set of the Joss Whedon favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, excellent. See that. That's uh, exciting news. Yeah, we'll go from there. It's at least at least two that I can think of will be on the show. I'm not sure if there is more, but, you know, I don't have the whole Rolodex in my head. <laughs> Are we talking major characters or, or well, you know, just the trio? To, you're just going to have to come, <laughs> go find out. You're just going to have to wait to find out. The trio is my go-to when I... <laughs> not quite major, but not quite minor. The troika, if you will. Indeed. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so uh, quick, quick, just quick uh, question for you. Not an unofficial prediction, but I always, we do have a cliffhanger. I would just, you know, uh, I assume you think that Penelope will survive. Uh, By the end of the episode, uh, (laughs) where do you think we are? Well, (laughs) I certainly would think it would be funny if, because I know she lasted for a long time with the show. Uh, we had at one point discussed she was in. Mo- she was one of the few cast members to make be in most of the episodes. So 
I think it would be funny if she was a ghost for like the last <laughs> nine seasons or 12, oh, could whatever. Could that be why I mentioned Ghost Whisperer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I don't think that's that's it. So um, I think she will be – I don't think the team will know yet that she's going to be all right. This is my prediction. She's going to be having an out-of-body experience so that one of my other predictions – to get a number counted toward it. And then that's going to be the end of the show. And then next week, the team will, the week after that, the team will learn that she's going to make it. She's going to pull okay. through. Very good. Well, we shall see uh, what we shall see there. Yeah, Penelope, looking forward. I can't wait. I um, might watch it tonight. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, folks. That is our episode this week. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at baloneouspundits at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye. And keep profiling. Wheels up! Everything you say is lies. But to me, that's no surprise. What I had for you was true. Things go wrong. They always do. Roland Gift. <laughs>